0: Hello, and welcome back to the Court Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McInnes, here for a sweet 16 weekend edition of the pod. There's been a good amount of madness so far, with notable upsets from Oral Roberts, Oregon State, Syracuse, and Loyola Chicago. However, the season is done for the Hawaii basketball teams, men and women, who could not get past the Big West quarterfinal and semifinal round, respectively, falling to UC Riverside and UC Davis, in the case of the Rainbow Wahine, the eventual champion. But for the Rainbow Warriors in particular, it was a difficult ending, a fourth one-and-done showing in five years. That March magic of Aranganath's first season continues to prove elusive, as this time six-seeded UH went down 62-52 to a very beatable Riverside team, capping the season at 11-10 overall and 9-9 in the Big West regular season. There's since been five players announced their intentions to leave with eligibility still on the table. Justin Webster, Justin Hemsley, James Jean-Marie, Bawali Bales, and local walk-on Cameron Ng. Player retention is a sport-wide issue, especially right now given the convenience of the transfer portal, additional free years of eligibility, and the ability for transfers to play right away with NCAA waivers. But UH has been hit by this particularly hard in recent seasons, and the Bows are staring at another rebuild job going into next year, with five scholarships to hand out right now by my count. And that's if Samuto Abeya comes back from his opt-out year and no one else leaves unexpectedly. Is this reason for concern? I would say definitely. UH hasn't been able to achieve any type of consistency for several years now, except for the consistency of finishing right at 500 every year. To finish among the UC Irvines and UC Santa Barbara's near the top of the conference, the Rainbows need a talent infusion pretty badly, and they need to figure out a way to keep their team leaders around, because you can't build something stable if your foundation keeps cracking. That takes me to today's guest, former Bose forward Bill Amist, a team captain who played out a four-year career at UH all the way to completion. And as I say that, it sounds like a totally different time. Dollar Bill, known for his shot blocking and mid-range touch, went on to great success playing in four different countries in Europe, and has since settled in London. He's a pretty worldly guy, so I was excited to catch up with him on a whole host of things, including his new business for student athletes and underrepresented pros, called Off the Court, which he'll go into. It was a fun interview, and he was candid about his time under both Bob Nash and Gib Arnold, and how that prepared him for what came next. So, here we go. Check out Mike and Kara at No Automotive in Kalihi for all your vehicle repairs and maintenance needs. Quick turnaround, affordable, honest, and ASE certified. Call or text 842-6453 to schedule an appointment today. That's 842-MIKE or email noka'oiauto at gmail.com. The best part? Mention the Court Sense podcast for a 10% discount. All right, welcome back to the Court Sense podcast, and it is a honor and privilege to bring on a guy who has pretty much lived in Europe for the last decade, it seems like. Uh, Bill Amos, the former University of Hawaii basketball forward, all-whack player, uh, has carved out a nice pro living for himself. Now, I believe, retired from hoops and is on to other ventures. Uh, Living in London currently, Bill Amos, welcome to the pod.
1: It's an honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So uh,
0: you've lived, a, I got to say, a very interesting life, man, since, uh, since the time you left the University of Hawaii. A number of guys, of course, go off and play pro hoops and, and hop from one country to the next. But uh, you, you've had some quite interesting stops uh, between Belgium, Romania, Cyprus, Estonia, uh, and as I said, now living in London. And you've also taken some jaunts here or there. Uh, how would you sum up your life these last handful of years, Bill?
1: Oh man, uh, it's been a great ride. I guess I would say it's these, um, I feel really like fortunate to have been able to play a long time. Uh, I feel like I was able to kind of carve a niche out for myself at the end of my career. Um, I, like maybe people remember me as a Hawaii basketball player. I was, a, I was a pretty good shot blocker, but I was also like always trying to score points. And then I got into professional and realized that I don't know, a little bit more team oriented game. And I kind of carved out my own little like defensive niche, let's say.
0: Well, you do have yep. your own Wikipedia page now, so uh, you know, <laughs> kudos, kudos to you. You must have done something
1: right, I guess. <laughs> I, I've, my mom tells me I need to go in there and make edits, but I feel like, I don't know, it feels like a bit false to change it. I feel like since it was, I didn't I didn't make it, but I don't know. I, think, I do think they need to give me some edits. <laughs> I, well, I haven't read it thoroughly.
0: I'll have to check it out, and uh, <laughs> may, maybe I could be the one to do that. I do have some copy editing <laughs> background, but... Um, Bill, uh, first thing I want to hit up hit upon with you real quick is uh, you just had your 15 minutes of Twitter fame um, kind of (laughs) overnight. Can can you please uh, tell the tell the good people what happened? Uh, You were on a a flight, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, you you took a picture and with your own commentary under the picture and it just absolutely took
1: off. Can can you elaborate on that? (laughs) What I can say is that I'm not built for social media fame. It was not fun. <laughs> um so what happened is I was sitting right behind the exit row in a plane and this uh guy kept like trying to take pictures of his feet in the exit row. Like I'm already tall so I can kind of see what's going on and I saw him like taking multiple pictures and then I was like what's going on? So I just snapped a picture of him taking a picture of his feet and then I realized in his caption it said uh do i look like i fly economy and so he but he's sitting in the economy so i posted that like this guy's in economy saying he uh, posting this picture line and then and it took off like honestly when i sent that thing i i was expecting like my 10 loyal likes that i get on a normal post to to, to show up but yeah once it got up to like uh 10 like it was up around a thousand and i was like this is gonna get this is gonna go off and then it got up to like a hundred and fifteen thousand likes and then i just couldn't i didn't want that <laughs> didn't want that heat on me anymore so i just deleted it
0: yeah what do people need to realize like when you know just uh an average guy off the street no offense bill like has <laughs> has like a social media post like that <laughs> explode um like, do people not realize, I mean, like, is it your phone just constantly blowing up or like people trying to reach out to you to like get stuff? Like, well, what's happening?
1: Yeah, I had like people like writing in my DM, like asking me to try and like sell their products. I had people writing me like saying, can I donate to their like family members and stuff and post things for their family members? And then I had people like DMing me, like saying, really... Awful things to me, and I was just like i don 't need this i don 't need this in my life, so I just deleted it, felt my anxiety immediately went down, so it was <laughs> it was worth yeah, deleting
0: <laughs> maybe that was for the best. I was watching just in awe i, I was I checked in a few <laughs> times to see where that post was and and it, it was a legitimately funny, good social media post, like it deserved attention in my opinion, but uh that was insane and um you maybe, I don't know maybe, how people
1: live that life like uh, where everything they post can go viral or or everything they do post goes viral. Ugh, I couldn't handle it. There's no way. Not built for that fame.
0: <laughs> well, uh w- welcome back to to normalcy. You can you have a seat, <laughs> settle right in. Uh you know, Bill, uh, just uh, on a topical note, um you know, your playing career ended a decade exactly uh from now actually. 2011 was was your last uh 2010-11 was your last year with the Ramble Warriors. Uh, that was Gib Arnold's first year as head coach. Uh, you you were there for the transition from the Bob, Bob Nash era. Uh, you redshirted that final year because of injury, and then you were present for the Gib Arnold era. Um, so, how does it feel? Ten years removed, um, as you know, we're in March Madness right now, and uh, uh, unfortunately for them, did not get past the the Big West quarterfinal round.
1: You know one of the things that I always think about even when I was still playing is whenever I first ended uh, I remember or let's say whenever I was in college and I thought about guys that had finished 10 years before me so that would have been let's say AC Carter whenever I was like first starting out and I was like oh man this guy is super old like I, I, that was my inside like in my in my head that's how I imagined him and now that I'm that person I'm like I'm not that old <laughs> but Sure enough, I am that old.
0: <laughs> That's crazy to think that, yeah, when you started your UH career, like in, what was that, 2008, uh, that was only 10 years removed from the AC Carter era. And
1: yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's, uh, um, looking back on it, it's crazy to think that it's been 10 years since then. It's, uh, it was, uh, a really fun four years that I had there for sure. And yeah, it was, it was a good ride.
0: So how much, uh, Attention! Do you pay, or do you even get to pay, to March Madness being over there in, in Europe? You know, for for the last several years of your life, is that something you you have a radar on at all?
1: I got quite a bit away from college basketball, especially whenever it was like still the thirty-five second shot clock, and just my life was living the European basketball. So I didn't pay too much attention to it. Um, the kind of the business that I'm in now, I'm looking more looking more into college sports and and following it a little bit closer and paying more attention to it but yeah the uh, I, I haven't really followed too much UH let's say I'm, I'm, it's a bit difficult with the time change here in Europe and but yeah it's uh you know I definitely I guess I guess feel for those guys ready
0: yeah uh, no they they haven't had a quite a breakthrough since a few years ago when they they won it all and got to uh, the big dance uh, in 2016 I imagine that year you you probably picked up on it a little bit
1: yeah, at that point I was still coming back and training during the summers with the Hawaii guys. Like I would work out with them during the summertime. I worked out with um uh, what was his name? The Serbian guy.
0: Uh, Jankovic, Stefan Jankovic. Jankovic. Yeah. yeah,
1: we used to go lift and stuff. Um but yeah, uh since then it's been I guess it's been a, a few lean years. Um but hopefully they can get hopefully they can get turned around here. Um I saw that they've also had a few defections, so Maybe they just need a clean slate, hope, hoping for the best. You know, I, I, I loved Iran as my coach. He was my coach for three years. He was great to work under a great guy. And, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a tough job. I, guess I it's a tough job to, to recruit out there. I would, I would think it would be a little bit easier if you're getting a lot of guys from California and a lot of the games are in California, but I don't know how it is nowadays. I guess now it's a lot easier to transfer as well. Um, so. You have a lot more turnover.
0: There is that for sure. It's it's become kind of a runaway runaway trend of you know, and uh has has been bit pretty hard by it. I think it's safe
1: to say the last couple of years. Um, you well, know, I mean, even whenever I was there, a lot of guys, you know, they complain, but it's it's was so difficult to transfer at that point. You know, you for sure have to sit out a year, and um, I, I'm not actually familiar what if the how the rules are changed. I know they have like the if you're a graduate, you can leave, but right, um, yeah, it was guys get homesick you know i mean it's it's a difficult it's not an easy thing it's pretty comparable to living this existence in europe i, I think it's easier living in hawaii than it is in bucharest romania but it's uh <laughs> but yeah it's i would say moving out there was a great transition it was a great like building block for me to be able to to move over to europe you know i was already used to living away from home um isolated and you, you have to build to develop these this community this Calabash family, let's say outside of uh, outside of your home. Sure, sure.
0: Uh, yeah, some definite parallels there. And uh, as you said, I mean, Coach Gannat was your coach. Uh, he was the full assistant under under Bob Nash, right? Uh, those, uh, I guess, the entire time you, you were. Uh, yeah, not including the Gibb year, uh, of course.
1: At the end. Yep, exactly. He went to St. Mary's that year. Right, right. Well, um, you
0: know, we'll we'll see if they can get things rebuilt if and. I- and make it yeah, run have, have they
1: signed some guys yet? No, I'm
0: a... They have one guy committed from uh, as a transfer from Princeton that they announced at midseason. Um, okay, I saw a that guy I've... who played for Princeton. I guess he didn't get to play at all this year because the Ivy League uh, was the one league that opted out of college basketball because of
1: COVID uh, threats. <sighs> what so, a... I saw one game where there was players that were playing with masks on. I don't know, I don't know what league that was, but I think. It was oh, like... I don't know. I, I, just...
0: that, that must that can't be easy. <laughs> man
1: honestly I, I this is, I, I I really like I feel like I kind of lucked out in stopping when I played uh, it would have been tough to you know play out your last year like some of those guys probably had to with no fans you know it's it would just be it wouldn't be the the way to go out I saw the one guy from Hawaii he redshirted this year because of COVID correct
0: uh Samutha Avea, he he opted out, yeah, he cited yeah. covid as his as his reasons for opting out and his his future is is up in the air as well, you know we don't know what whether we'll see him out out here playing again or not or or otherwise, i oh, guess really? some, something to be uh-huh. uh you know followed up on there for sure mm-hmm. um kind of an open question right now, but well bill, i mean, you alluded to your retirement when when officially mm-hmm. was that from from uh pro hoops
1: So I stopped in 2019 was my last year. I played seven full seasons overseas. And then um, I went to business school. And that's how I ended up in London. Uh, I did my MBA here for a year. And then I finished that in August
0: 2020. Right. Okay. And and, um, that was still, I mean, in the thick of the current pandemic, we find ourselves in you, you did a a jaunt over uh to turkey if i'm not mistaken right how long was that and how what was what was that like i guess technically not part of the eu which neither of which is uh england anymore
1: yeah so what happened is my student visa ended then i went to uh that ended in september so i went to switzerland for a little bit um then i went to italy then i went to belgium back to belgium when i was living before. And I came back to London for a little bit. And then I spent two months in Turkey, like finalizing my new visa. Um, it's it just was a really tough situation to get the visa all finalized. I was, I'm doing a startup visa and it has to get approved by multiple different um, entities, let's say. And so, yeah, it was just a time consuming process, but spent some time in Turkey made some friends out there. And yeah, it was, uh, it was a, an interesting experience. Like it's, uh, I feel bad because you know like I guess I was traveling during this time that's why I didn't really post it on my social media because I didn't want people to think I'm traveling for fun I was really just uh you know there because I had to be gotcha uh
0: I mean how what was the vibe there I, I would I have only really heard stories about how like Enos Cantor can't go back to his homeland because you know because he had some falling out with the Turkish government and now they they might actually try to capture him if he ever appears at like a, a neutral country or something like that it's crazy
1: sounding things. Like did I'm assuming that was not your experience when you were over there. If it was, I definitely wouldn't say it on here on the podcast. (laughs) I'm not trying to end up like him. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they're going through some rough, rough times right now. They had even like some political upheaval going on like this week. So it's just, an it's just like a tough time uh, for a lot of people all over the world. But for me, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was cool. Like there was a lot of cats, a lot of stray dogs, let's say. (laughs) Made some friends on the street there as well. Uh, I had like a little cat that would come by and I would feed. But uh, yeah, it was it was I, I honestly, I, I don't have anything negative really to say about Turkey. I wish I would be there during during a better time, let's say.
0: Gotcha. Well, you are back in London now, and uh, my understanding, Bill, is you are starting up a, uh, a startup. Uh, venture uh, of your own related to to college athletics or col- college uh, ath- athletes themselves um c- could you elaborate what that's about and um you know what what can people look forward to there
1: yes yeah, so we're starting it's called off the court um with this year the name image and likeness rules are going to be changing or i guess moving into next school year um so we created a marketplace essentially for athletes to create their own little personal store where they can sell goods and online services so they can sell, um, for example, kind of like Cameo, they can sell a shout out video, they can sell a video call with, let's say, um, someone uh, like a, a, a digital mentorship. So let's say someone from a, a Hawaii kid that's in the fifth grade or something. He wants to um, learn, you know, from from his favorite UH football player, your favorite UH basketball player they can sit there and um, go over some of his game films or just talk about life. And so um, that's one thing. So we have uh, and eventually we do want to get into uh, more digital or not, uh, not digital um, physical merchandise sales. So like helping athletes, you know, design and build brands, you know, there's this huge push towards uh, entrepreneurship, especially in our generation with uncertain job futures and, and even going for myself and transitioning out of, out of sports it's quite an overwhelming thing so we've done a lot of um a lot of phone calls a lot of conversations with former athletes or and current athletes and you know one of the main things that keeps coming up is their anxiety about transferring into their new into their new career so ideally we want to give them um you know some framework and some help in, in building their own online business and you know take control of it because the NCAA is—I uh, don't—I don't know. Maybe I'll want to go be a coach one day, so maybe I shouldn't say anything. But <laughs> I'm not—I'm not a fan of the way the NCAA has has taken advantage of athletes for so long. It's—it's it's time that things change for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, how, when you heard the kind of the the mm-hmm. rumblings or the the momentum heading the way of you know the, this uh, kind of phase of athlete empowerment, or at least getting some, um, you know, ability to represent themselves or make a little money off their likeness. I mean. Uh, what, what was your, what's been kind of your reaction over time as that's, as that's
1: developed? Yeah, my initial reaction was, you know, that's awesome. I, I was trying to think of, you know, the, the best ways that athletes can monetize that. You know, a lot of guys, if they have a lot of, a large social media following, they can start doing, they can start doing posts and and whatnot like that, but that it's more, we're still kind of waiting to hear what the NCAA is exactly going to offer. Uh, and allow, so it's kind of there's just this holding period. We were supposed to get legislation passed in January um, that was going to give us uh, quite a bit more guidance, but even that they've pushed back. But essentially, there is um, uh, a timeline for them because some certain states have passed it that's going to that's going to take effect this July. So they they pretty much have to get something done, or else it's going to be certain states will have an unfair advantage, certain college level an unfair advantage, but one of the things that I've thought about, I think, is interesting is like a school, let's say like Hawaii, where you have a lot of fan support, um, more so than the other schools in that conference. Uh, I think that these schools really need to go on the front foot of of trying to figure out ways that they can help their student athletes monetize their name, image and likeness, make them some extra money while they're there, because it's going to give them an advantage in their recruiting. Um, and I think it might level the playing field, like let's say... One of the things that I always think about, because my mom is from Nebraska, but like the Nebraska Cornhuskers, like they struggle to get athletes at this point because you have to go live in Nebraska. But they have maybe some of the best, they probably the, the best fan support in the country, like at least top five, I'd say, for their football, and they're super loyal. But these those fans would be doing whatever they could to help these athletes, I'm sure, if they could. I mean, even whenever I was in Hawaii, people were. You know, bending over backwards, they wanted to help in any way they can. And now you see, you're going to see a, a wave where a lot of fans can support their athletes monetarily and, and, in, and in more ways. So I think that that's what's going to be an interesting dynamic to see how that shifts the powers of, of, of college sports.
0: Yeah, well said. And um, so you, you, there's a, you I heard you say we. So you, you have, it's not just you going into this, or right? you have some, some like kind of partners over mm-hmm. there in, in London?
1: Yeah. So there's a team of four of us. It's actually three guys from my MBA. And then we hired um, actually my former flatmate here. Uh, to He's like our, he's our CTO. So he's building, he's our development guy. So he's building the marketplace, the platform right now for us.
0: Off the court. And so are you planning on kind of running it from London? Can, can you really kind of do that successfully from there, you think?
1: Well, that's the thing is we're also targeting mid-tier level athletes in Europe as well. So let's say a guy who's playing in like the fourth league of soccer in the UK. Um, So guys like that, because they actually have quite a huge, a large following as well. And then we'd also like to to help Olympic athletes if we can, because uh, I know that they have more restrictions in around their, their time frame. but let's say after the Olympics are over, they have this large following, they have a, they have a big boost in their, in their, um, Followers and whatnot on on social media, and hopefully we can help them capitalize if we're ready to go by then. Right now we're in a startup accelerator in Stockholm, and one of our guys is Swedish, so we are um, you know hoping to to start marketing out a little bit more aggressively in the next few weeks.
0: Gotcha. Well, uh, Bill, yeah, best best of luck there, man. It sounds uh, sounds promising, sounds encouraging. Hopefully you guys get some. Clarity, I guess, from the NC two A on on what things can and can't. But knowing them, they may be some foot dragon or, or it might be a little while. So I, I hope I hope you get some resolution there soon. You can get fully underway. But um, well, Bill, as we talked about, I mean, you are a very well traveled guy. We listed right off the top basically some of the the stops you you've been at in your playing career and otherwise uh, places like Belgium, Romania. You referenced Cyprus, Estonia, places that. You know, most Americans, let alone people from listening from Hawaii right now, will, will probably, likely never go to in their lives. Um, so, you know, what did you kind of glean from your your just overarching experience, um, getting a chance to play in front with people that you know you had never encountered before, cultures you'd never encountered previously, and, and their fan bases along the way.
1: Uh, for me, I would say. The main thing is like the people make the place. Uh, living in Hawaii was amazing, but it was also amazing because I had great friends there. And living in in Bucharest, I don't want to say anything negative about Bucharest because it actually is a it actually is a really underrated city. It's a lot of fun, but I also had a great group of friends there. And I lived in a um, mid sized town in in Belgium, and that was probably the closest team I ever had. Like we were hanging out all the time, every single game. Our, we just crack jokes in the locker room is we still talk on our group chat every day three years later three four years later so it's just uh like I played you know I I never I'm not gonna say I played a high level of professional sports so like I played let's say a mid-tier level and the thing that I that came out of it would for the most for me is the relationships like the the friendships that I still have from it
0: nice so of all the places that you went uh, what was I mean was culture wise was Romania the, the the one that required the most adjustment or most culture shock if you will um, what what was kind of the what
1: was it like from that standpoint or was it one of the other ones yeah i'm I would say a pretty adaptable guy uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever felt culture shock I don't, I don't know um, I don't really know what it actually happens but I would say that like the the toughest Stop for me was my first one in Estonia, but I think that's just because I was still really immature coming out of coming out of college, coming out of Hawaii, and I still like just had too much arrogance about the situation, and I just I treated it like too much like a prison sentence. So once I did, once I played for a few years, I realized I, I, you know, I I started realizing that this becomes your life over here, and it's become Europe has become my life, but. A lot of guys, when they're coming over as rookies as second years and they they treat it like a prison sentence whenever they're playing overseas. they sit there and they count down the days until it's time for them to go home and then you're just wasting you know eight nine months of your life so you, what you need to do is you need to make it your make it your home uh get out meet people learn learn the culture and once you do that, you know then it really does become home and that's that's why I've wanted to that was one of the main reasons why when I knew I was going to be coming to an end and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to stay in Europe if it was possible. And so that's why I came to school here in in London.
0: Gotcha. Now, I mean, just from having a world perspective, which I think is a very, um, you know, important thing to have for, for anybody really, uh, how how different of a, of a guy do you think you are after kind of these, these like experiences you've had from the time say like that you left, high school in, in Oklahoma to leaving the University of Hawaii to, you know, your first stop along the way.
1: Man, I would say like Hawaii is where I definitely became a man. I I think I, I matured a lot there. Cause I was coming from coming from high school and then junior college. Even junior college was, you know, a huge eye opener for me. I was coming from Oklahoma City and I lived in a town of 3,000 people in in Kansas. And so I got to experience that, you know, and I don't know if you watched the last chance you, but we were pretty much that type of situation. The coach that was pretty wild (laughs) and then guys from, you know, Detroit, Chicago, all over the place. And we're all sitting in in our dorms in a tiny town in Kansas. And we got people that are, uh, yeah, a little rough around the edges from small town Kansas. So there was just a, that was an eye opener. And then, you know, moved to Hawaii Um, and then, yeah, coming to Europe, it's, it's been just a crazy journey. I, I don't know. I don't know how to don't know how to describe it.
0: Well, I want to ask you, I've been wanting to ask you a, a little bit about politics for a while Bill. I think you you are <laughs> kind of one one of the former uh athletes that I've covered that is not afraid to to speak his mind about such things on, you know, you've done the occasional Twitter post, social media post uh, about it and and you've often made reference to the fact that, you know, back home in o- Oklahoma where your family is, you you guys don't off sometimes see eye to eye quite on, on some of those issues. I'm I'm really curious your take on kind of what that dynamic has, has been like, played out over time, especially given, you know, all the attention that has been paid to the, the last election cycle or two. How, how, how are things like that with your, you know, when you think about going back home or talking to people back home for you?
1: Well, that's what's been crazy is like essentially this whole, like, Social media radical, radicalizing everybody online has happened essentially whenever after I left America. So I've kind of just always been like an outside observer, but it's been tough to see, you know, everybody just becoming so polarized. Um. Uh. Yeah. Going home, it's man, like I, I'm. I'm trying. This is one thing you you mentioned this, but like I'm. I've been trying to clean up my social media act. I I try not to post as much. Uh, political stuff. I deleted a lot of my previous posts, but you know, it's still something that is important to me. But so going home, you know, like even riding in my dad's car, he has like one of those QAnon, uh, stickers on it or had one of those things. And I got home and I said, I'm not riding in this car with a QAnon sticker on your, on the back of it. There's no way. So yeah, there's just like a, a disconnect there. I think things are, have, uh, have changed a lot as far as, as people, you know, get information online that they that they think it, uh, I think it maybe they think that it gives them like some kind of, I don't know, extra knowledge, and they and they try to use it against other people. But it's just scary to see. It's really scary, even even every day what happens. How divided America is.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And you you hit it right on the head. I think with these just kind of information bubbles that people find themselves trapped in willingly or unwillingly. I mean, maybe some people seek that out as, as a comfort zone. Maybe some people don't even realize that they're in that kind of, you know, that echo chamber of information they want to hear or, or that's all they hear. Um, so
1: you yeah. Know, I, mean, I left, uh, sorry. I left the mainland in when I was 19. So even like, let's say developing past that, like politically and whatnot, I was, I was in Hawaii for four years before I came to Europe. So even thinking about just going back to live on the mainland, just really, really doesn't appeal to me. Uh, if I were to come back to America, I would want to try and come back to Hawaii for sure. Just because I just, I can't see myself in that, in this, le- in this area where everyone just like silently hates each other.
0: Right. Right. And it's not to say we're, we're amused to that out here, but I, I do think there's a different tenor to it for sure. Um, it just, yeah, I don't think it has the same vibe to it that you might find on back in your hometown or a lot of
1: other places on the mainland, for sure. Um, it's, it feels like it's like it's quieted down quite a bit in the last few months, though, since I guess the deplatforming of, of Trump from Twitter. So, like, it's almost—I haven't even thought about politics in in a few months. It's been nice.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sorry to to bring you back to that headspace. Uh, one last question I want to ask you on that subject, and we'll we'll move on. Uh, where were you on on January 6th when those capital riots happened, and um, like what was what was your
1: reaction when that happened? Uh, yes, yeah, so well, I was in I was in Turkey. I was so there's a like a what would that time change have been at that point? I think it was like a nine hour time change to there. So it was happening like basically as I was going to sleep and my sister texted me like turn on the news um so i'm so i I'm, I'm turned that on and texted her, and i started texting my mom i didn't didn't want to step and start texting my dad cuz i don't even want to know what his opinion was on that situation but uh yeah it was that was insane and i think that i don't understand how people defend it people walking through the the Capitol with a confederate flag
0: what was um you know when you were – walking around there in Turkey or whoever you might have interacted with there. Do you remember like what kind of their reaction was like, like in that country to, I'm sure it made like headlines there. I think it made headlines like everywhere. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, I guess I didn't really get into it too much with people there. You know, they have, they have a lot of their own political issues. Um, so no, I guess we didn't really talk too much about the riots. I had pretty much just gotten there. So I hadn't really met anybody at that point. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well,
0: Bill, going back to kind of your your formative years, you referenced your journey going f- from high school in Oklahoma to Pratt Community College, right? That was the small town in Kansas you you were talking about. Um, what was that like for you? Given that you were a late bloomer, I think is is safe to say uh, as a basketball player, you I don't I don't know if you were kind of fully had reached your your height yet, like uh, six nine, right? And uh, was what you you got to be. And you were kind of like a end of the rotation kind of guy, right? In high school. I'm curious your your thought on how that evolution from being a guy who ended up playing college ball, having some good success in college and going on to a pro career, the perspective of being a guy who was, you know, almost right at the, the fringe of not playing at all, how how maybe that's kind of informed your perspective on things over the years.
1: Uh, yeah, it's, Honestly, I, it's more just like I can't, it's like a disbelief situation. I can't believe that how my life is, has shaped from them. If you'd have told me in high school, even like after I finished my senior year, that I would have played professional basketball, I would have thought you're insane. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it kind of just keep, leaves the option of, of, you know, anything is possible. Um, I'm not going to say if you work hard, but yeah, if anything is possible, if you work hard. And I think that this—that's, let's say, the perspective. My perspective has changed so much now. Ending basketball because you know, as as a player, whenever you whenever you're moving up these ranks, it's almost like a pyramid. You know, your 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 ta- the people you're competing against get smaller and smaller um, as you as you get to the professional. So, like, once I get to the towards the end of my career, there's maybe at my, like, there's guys that are above me, you know, and there's guys that are below me, but like at my level, there's maybe only um, a few hundred guys in the world that, that are at my, that, that are my height that play the game like me. So th- that's pretty much the only competition I really have in the world is a few hundred people for the jobs that I want. And now that I'm transitioning into this, into the post playing career, and you just see how much talent there is in the world and how smart people are and how hard people work. And it's, it's I think that a lot of athletes struggle with this transition because it really is a bit overwhelming to to see how how much talent there is in other aspects of the world now.
0: Yeah, no, well said. Um, what what really kind of went into your decision to retire when you did, Bill? Because I think playing age wise, I think you potentially could have kept going just from a I'm guessing from like a general athleticism standpoint. I mean, you're still a pretty young guy.
1: Uh, I was 31 when I stopped playing. Um, and it kind of goes back to that anxiety that I talked about earlier. It was like always, I was always thinking like, you know, what am I going to do after? What am I going to do after? What am I going to do after? I don't want to be too old whenever I end. And so it like kind of like fed into my head and it it got out of, it got me like, I guess thinking always, what am I going to do? And then so, yeah, I just, I decided that I wanted to be in control of the situation. I didn't want to be like, you know, forced out of the game. Um, and then, yeah, th- that it also just kind of coincided with, I had, uh, it wasn't a, a bad knee surgery. I had like some cartilage clean and, but I had a bone bruise that kept me out and it hurt my season. And I knew I would have had to take steps back in my career if I would have kept playing. And I was, I was happy that every single year that I played, I felt like I always, like at least my money went up and I always, I felt like I made an improvement in some way up until that last year where it was a struggle for me. Um so it was just like you know I wanted to take control of of how it ended the way things have gone since then you know I don't know like it, I I definitely miss the game sometimes but I don't know if it's more if it's more you know missing the camaraderie of the guys or if I just actually miss miss playing basketball for me I think it's more missing missing the camaraderie missing it's more like nostalgia of the moments of playing more so than actually missing basketball
0: what's uh what's the moment or time period that you look back on with the most fondness either from like a personal or team achievement standpoint and maybe what was the the opposite end of that spectrum what was the, what was the toughest
1: uh it would be my second year in belgium we were we were a really close team um everyone like i said earlier like we were just every single day was great like i didn't even at a certain point of the year i just like stopped even trying to like hang out with anybody like else outside of my team. I was just like, man, this team is it's as good as it's going to get. And I need to cherish this. So yeah, that was, that's probably the, that was my favorite year. We also had a really good year as well. Um, For negative times though, I would say it's probably twice. My second year in Romania, we played Euro cup, which is like the second tier or like second, second highest tier of, of European basketball. Um, but we just had this coach that I did not get along with at all. He was just not a I don't know, like I, I didn't I didn't respect him and I, he probably didn't respect me. And it sucks because if like I think if we would have had the coach from the year before there, then I probably would have made a, another leg up in my career, like a, a more dramatic leg up in my career than I would have because then I would have had a coach that actually believed in me. So like I would say that's like the I guess the regret I have looking back.
0: Well, you, how many co- head coaches did you have throughout your playing career in total, you think?
1: <laughs> I've got some funny stories about some of these guys, man. <laughs> That's one thing I think it would be great is if someone had like, so someone could compile some of the stories from guys overseas because it's crazy. But I had, I think only one year I made it to where we didn't have a coach get fired during the year. <laughs> no way. Only once that didn't happen? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think maybe maybe it was twice, but yeah, it was it's it was often. You get coaches getting fired during during the season. Wow. Where do they find these guys? Uh a lot of times they bring up the assistant, so the assistant will become head coach. Um my last year we fired the guy and we brought in somebody outside and that's where I can tell you some funny stories. But yeah, that guy was interesting. Whenever we fired our head coach middle of Estonia, we hired the assistant, but the assistant wasn't really good at speaking English. So it turned into like I wasn't really able to communicate with with the coach anymore, and so it was I had like a translator essentially because we used to do the the like briefings in English, and then it switched like it may be in February, and then everything was in Estonian, and I was the only non-Estonian player on the team. <laughs> so that's a, another reason. Like I said, I was counting down the days there. So
0: <laughs> you were the but equivalent. I- you were the equivalent of the uh, like the ball player the MLB ball player from Japan who has his designated translator with him at all yeah. times for interviews. That that was you. I
1: always get teased about that cuz you ever seen the show New Girl? The guy that plays oh, he plays in Latvia, so that was like that was basically me. But I like honestly it was a it was a great experience and the guys were good guys, so nothing nothing i can say bad about that place.
0: So is like that kind of kind of um constantly changing, you know, coaching circuit. Is it comparable at all to like the NCAA and you know how sometimes coaches might get fired at one place. They'll just kind of pop up like whack-a-mole at another place like Brick Pitino in like just a few years.
1: Well, that's what I say about like NCAA coaches. They have it so good. Like they get runway to, to recruit and then they make more, way more money than players make. And I mean, then coaches make in Europe as well. Unless, I mean, I think pretty much at any level. So yeah, they they should be very very fortunate. They should be very grateful for their situation in the NCA to have so much job security. And and even then people say like they don't have job security, but compared to a professional, you have a lot of job security.
0: Well, Bill, you I believe you are the first guy I've had on the pod who's from your particular years at the University of Hawaii from those late 2000s to early 2010s. Uh tw- 2008 to 2011 was your playing range, I believe. Uh you came in under Bob Nash. And you were there for the transition from Bob Nash to Gib Arnold played one year for Gib with a redshirt year in between, as I think we t- mentioned earlier. You preceded a lot of crazy things that happened by a few years uh, going from, from Gib to Benji to Iran, um, you know, ups and downs, wild swings. What do you remember about those few years that you were there? I mean, there was a coaching transition, as I just said. Um, but it seems like a calmer time overall, or maybe the calm before the storm in some ways. What what kind of was your uh, your read on your time there?
1: Um. Well, like going back to going back to like talking about coaching changes. One of the main things as, a, as an athlete and as a coach is you. It's really hard once you lose a locker room. So like whenever you, you can see a, a professional team, whenever. I think that's generally when they make that change is whenever you start seeing that locker room's gone, because it's almost impossible to bring back. And Bob Nash had lost that locker room before going into that senior year that I read the original year that I redshirted. So that's why that that year was a catastrophe because it's just it's just impossible to get back. Like guys would prank during the during speeches and stuff. So like there's times in college where changes just need to be made and it's nothing like against coach nash but you just can't get it back sometimes gotcha. and moving forward Gibb, he, he was just such a different personality when he came in there to bob or to coach nash and um that yeah it, it was really beneficial for my career um as, as well mm-hmm. as like you know changing this playing style because you know underneath coach nash we were still running the, the flex offense, which is, I mean, imagine if you saw someone running, trying to run the flex offense now, I, I, it's like unheard of to try and run something like that. You know, you have too much, you're just, you're killing creativity in the game. And uh, it's also really easy to guard. So moving forward into with Coach Arnold, it, it just, yeah, it just was everything that I needed to, to push my career into the next level. I don't even yep. know if I would have been able to get a job if I would have played that year underneath Coach Nash.
0: Wow. No, I mean, when you look back on it, I know that it was like a plantar fascia injury or something, right? I remember it happened in the preseason to you. Uh, and I had never, I was only a couple years on the beat at that point. I had no idea what a platter fascia was at the <laughs> time.
1: Um, I'm sure you became familiar with it after that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, as guys, you know, one where the are like uh, gamekeepers, thumb injuries and all kinds of weird terminology, I remember learning along the way. But uh, yeah, as you said, I mean, it, it worked out for you in the long run. Was it tough to have that perspective in the moment, I guess, you know, going into what was going to be your senior year?
1: To be honest, when it happened, I was like, I I immediately, my immediate thought was like, this is probably a blessing in disguise. Because like I said, the the locker room was pretty much gone already. So I knew it was going to be a rough year. And like, I was the captain of that team. So like, it's, it sounds bad, but it was, it was tough. I knew it was going to be a tough one.
0: Well, uh, it it sure bore out that way. Um, You know, and (laughs) there were... Some, as I said, some up and downs after uh, you finished playing, your, your playing career was done. That was a successful first year under Gibb. I believe you guys won 19 games. Uh, you were an all whack uh, player. I, I want to say that year, second team, perhaps. Um, how much did you follow in the immediate aftermath? You know, how the Gibb Gib saga played out, you know, all, all the transitions they had. Uh, were you able to keep track?
1: Well, I came back that one. I, I watched it really closely. Then that my my first year out, you know, I didn't have a whole lot going on while I was over in Estonia. Um, so I missed Hawaii. Like I was super homesick for Hawaii that year. And then so after that year, I, I moved back to Hawaii. And that's whenever I worked for Oceanic Time Warner doing the broadcast. Yeah. Um, with, with Johnny right. White. My <laughs> like, gosh. That was, yeah, that was a fun year. Um, uh, but. I've watched them do it now. Those guys are better than me. So I'm happy they they found Kavika. He's a good guy. Um, but yeah, so I followed him that year pretty closely. And then, um, yeah, just kind of got away from it after that. Let's say, you know, once all the drama happened with Coach Arnold, um, I got roped into that. You know, I had to do like depositions. Uh, for Did that you? Proce- yeah, for that process and talk about, um, let's just say – Gib Arnold's lawyers were better than UH's lawyers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he did get a nice payout out of the whole thing. And in the end, I want to say 700 grand, something like that. Um, yeah. and, You know, he couldn't coach for a few years. He's, I've actually heard his name come up as, as rumblings of like openings, <laughs> like at Portland University, like, like maybe Gib was, you know, I don't know if he sent some feelers out or they were, you know, floating him out there. It didn't happen that way. I don't think, but, um, you know, he, he coach, could,
1: man. He's like he's a bit rough around the edges and I don't know how he needs like an ally in the locker room. Like, I think that whenever I was there, I was an ally for him in the locker room. Um, I was a senior, I was mature and I had a lot riding on that year. Um, and I even got, I, whenever I was injured that year, it was, it was tough for me, but, and then once I left, I think that it was, I think he didn't have that same level of, um, ally. And immediately after that, I know they went down quite a bit that next year. And then eventually they got with like FOTU and they had, they just had a lot of talent. Like Christian San Hardinger is really good. He's just a great recruiter, but uh, so, you know, he's going to get talent for sure.
0: I mean, it's pretty staggering when, when you kind of stack up like the personalities that they've had leading the program back to back to back to back, like over the last, you know, since you played to, to now it's like, you know, like whipsaw action, man. It's, it's, it's kind of, <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, truly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I haven't talked to Benji in a while. He was, uh, that was, he was, uh, always a fun, fun guy to play with. But that, that year with coach Arna was, cause we also had coach Akana. Like that was just a, a group. That was just the characters, man. That was a fun year.
0: Well, I want to have some of those guys on at some point, uh, Benji included. I, I think he actually will be one of the the guys I'm hoping to to reach out to pretty soon. So uh, okay, cool. That, that would be a fun interview i guarantee it
1: <laughs> yeah i'll be tuning in for that he'll <laughs> uh, always speak his mind that's for
0: sure he he absolutely will uh <clears throat> bill um you know final final thought from you man on on um your venture or, or london living or, or what's to come for you in, in these still crazy pandemic times uh that we all find ourselves in
1: well i would just say you know we're almost out of this so keep our heads um for my venture you know um it's we're we're getting there getting close i already know that the people of hawaii that they're going to support their their local student-athletes or their student-athletes so um hopefully it will be on on my platform but if it's not i know that they'll do it um regardless
0: off the court check it out all right and uh bill thanks for coming on the pod man
1: yeah thank you man that was great